the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is an amazing lie and a really great statement, but in actuality, an impossibility. We are not the captain of our ship, nor could we ever be. So who is it that leads and directs us? Stick around. Find out. Dylan summed it up best when he penned his song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. You see, that is the truth of the matter. The question is, who are you serving? Jesus tells us that it's only one of two, God or Satan. So if you are serving God, are you being led by the Spirit? It all connects as we continue our journey through Romans chapter 8. We're looking at verses 12 through 14 today. Hot off the heels of our verses 1 through 11 look at the indwelling of the Spirit of Jesus. Won't you join us from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org? Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's edition of Abounding Grace. In verse 12, the word therefore is very important. As a matter of fact, throughout chapter 8, what in Greek are called the particles or the connectives are critical because it is as if every line just enfolds into the next line or is it an explanation of what Paul has just said or is virtually a conclusion. It's a bit odd right in the middle of a chapter to have a therefore. Here, a conclusion. Therefore, what is it there for? Now, not to be trite, but always remember that when you read Scripture, God doesn't give us readers' digest quotables. God gives us His Word. And it is compacted and it is logical so that we can draw out of it His will for our lives. What did Paul say at the end of verse 11? He said that the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead now dwells with us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. And one day he will quicken these very bodies. This is why he says mortal bodies. It's not some heavenly body. It's not some God body. It is this body, this mortal body. God is going to quicken it. Now, you might be thinking, how is that even possible? All of the people have burned up in fires. Their ashes just scattered to the four winds. People who have been drowned in the middle of the sea eaten by sharks and digested, people blown to pieces in war, people who were just lost and we don't even know where they are or what happened to them. You know, every time I think about this, 
It's a little bit overwhelming to me to think that we serve a God of such power that things that make us wrinkle our brows and say, how is this possible? But with God, nothing shall be impossible. And he knows where all the bodies, all the calamities, all the quiet grief, all the tears were spilt. And one day he will raise those mortal bodies and quicken them by his own power. Therefore, verse 12, brethren, we are debtors. A strange conclusion. Therefore, we are debtors. This is not the language of what you would think. Rejoice, sing, do cartwheels. We are debtors. Well, this is kind of a defective sentence, and that's not a negative comment because he doesn't really state what his main point is. Therefore, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. So what are we debtors to? What does he not say that he means? We are debtors to the Spirit, because the Spirit is the one who is going to raise us up and who condescends to dwell in us. Now think about this, language of obligation, and it is the language of obligation. A lot that passes today for Christian living is giddiness, sloganeering, little pious principles to make us feel better. But here we have the language of fealty. Here we have the language of obligation, of debt, and of covenant. Think about this. The Holy Spirit, by indwelling us, he doesn't just float around. He's not some whimsical ghost around us. He is bound to us. The Holy Spirit binds himself to us because he is the seal. He is the pledge that Jesus Christ has bound himself to us. And being bound to us, what is the implication of that for us. Well, if we have any gratitude for mercy, if we have any humility before such grace and condescension, we are going to bind ourselves right back. Just like Paul says, we're going to feel ourselves to be bound to him and under obligation to him. Now, keep in mind, this is a sweet obligation. This is not well. The Holy Spirit's going to zap me with a lightning bolt if I don't straighten up. This is the obligation of I'm on my way to be raised from the dead. This is the obligation of the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within me. So I don't want to live after the flesh. I've been freed from that debtorship. I've been freed from that slavery. I don't want to be a debtor to the world, to its fashions, its whims, its lusts. I don't want to be a debtor to my own lust. Jesus died on the cross and obligated himself for our penalty, though. Why would I re-obligate myself in ingratitude to serve sin? Now, today, this is not going to be, I think, very well received. 
Because you hear this language of obligation and being a debtor to God, people will say, well, what about grace? What about love? What about spontaneity? (coughs) Excuse me. Let me ask you, was Jesus not spontaneous? Was Jesus unloving? Was he ungracious when he said to the Father, I will be the surety, I will pay the obligation to your justice that the sins of my people deserve from you? Was that unloving? Was that cold? Was that ungracious? No, that was love and grace and spontaneity and kindness unparalleled. So when we hear then, we are not debtors to the flesh, we are debtors to the Holy Spirit, which is a clear implication that all the commentators have recognized. The hair on the back of our necks ought to stand on end. One day, I'm going to die. I'll probably see some of you. Some of you will probably see me laid out on cold as an ice cube. And that body is going to be laid out for everyone to see in all of your dead glory. It's going to happen unless Jesus comes back before. But understand, we have the Holy Spirit now who is going to raise that body one day. Therefore, because he dwells within us, because he has bound himself to us, we are bound to him. Now, he states this binding negatively in verse 12. He says, not to the flesh. Live to live after the flesh. Why? Because the number one thing that grieves the Holy Spirit is when we don't speak in tongues? Wrong. When we don't go on mission trips? Wrong. When we don't read every new book on spirituality that comes down the pike? Wrong. What grieves the Holy Spirit? When we are not holy, which means separation, and that separation is from God. That is what grieves the Holy Spirit. That is what manifests an ungrateful spirit when we play fast and loose with sin. So let's boil it down. Remember, Paul is writing this to Christians. And notice he uses no third-person pronouns in these verses. And what are third-person pronouns? pronouns they them that is how we like to talk they oh those are rotten people here we have all second person pronouns you we why because it is intended for the church so we need to ask ourselves to whom do we feel ourselves indebted A few simple practical things. How do you talk to your spouse? What do you think about when it is just you? A friend of mine sent me a quote, and I'm not going to tell you right now the year or the author, but the quote went something like this, and I don't remember it word for word, so please excuse me. Uh, This person said, Americans are babies that never grow up and cannot even rattle their own rattles. They cannot be five minutes alone without turning on the radio. It doesn't matter what's on the radio as long as there is some noise, something to drown out the silence of their otherwise meaningless existence. 
Now, if you play, replaced radio probably today with TV, this could be someone today. But this was J. Metchen Grisham in 1930. 1930. And he was the founder of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. So what are you indebted to? I had another friend tell me not too long ago who has taught young people in the church for a long time that the number one advice I would give to parents is unplug your children from all electronics. Now, this is not a sermon about being a Luddite and not knowing what's going on, but it is a question of what are we indebted to. You see, as Christians, we live in a different realm than the realm of these eyes, and I have got to have some electronic plugged in all the time because I can't stand the silence. We are indebted to the Holy One of Israel to walk after Him. So let me encourage you to take this seriously. Who are you a debtor to? What do you think about? How do you talk? Are your infections affections inflamed for God? Do you truly want to walk with Him? Is being devoted to Him the driving force in your life? And when you fail, which we all do, do you say, well, no use in trying again? Or do you run back to Him and say, Lord, I know that with you there is mercy. And like Micah said, you will throw all our sins into the depths of the sea. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. You have bound yourself to me. I want to bind myself to you. Now, verse 13 contains a warning. And again, please remember, this is written to the church. Verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you will die. How could Paul say this to the church? Look at verse 9 again. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Verse 13 again, for if you live after the flesh, you will die. Let's read those again together. But if you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. Verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you will die. So which is it, Paul? Are these believers in the Spirit? Are they in the domain, the influence of the Spirit? Or are they walking after the flesh? Listen, there's a real easy way to get to the heart of this. Believers who walk after the Spirit are not presumptuous. They don't ever say, I'm good to go. Yeah, there are some sins in my life, but that's no big deal. I don't really need to... Renew faith and repentance every morning. I don't have to worry about receiving the manna every day that I receive from God just because I've sinned. There's no longer any consequences to my sin now that I'm a Christian. Christians are not presumptuous. We don't just assume, hey, I've had my experience of God. I've got sound theology. I'm a member of a church. I've been baptized no, we need warnings like this. So Paul says to them, if you live after the flesh, it doesn't matter what you say about yourself, you are dead in your sin. 
Do you remember what I said that phrase meant, after the flesh? It means that sin and corruption is the dominant principle in your life. It could be lust. It could be lying. It could be worry. It could be anger. It could be drugs. It could be all of them. If sin is the dominant principle of a person's life, then it is true of them that they walk after the flesh. Paul says, if you do, you will die. And here, obviously, he's not talking about physical death because everyone is going to die. He's talking about judicial death, penal death, death as the wages of sin. Now, there's actually some neat stuff in these verses. If you live after the flesh, you will die. First of all, we need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 We need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Two, we need to realize that what is being said here is not, well, if you sin, you're lost. No, what is being said here is Christ is so powerful that he leaves none of his in the domain of sin. And this ought to be such an encouragement to us. This is a warning that ought to encourage every one of us. Are, are you struggling with sin? Then understand if you belong to the Lord Jesus and you look to him, he will not leave you there. Because he died on the cross, not just to pay the penalty for our sins and deliver us from the curse and the judgment and the hell of it, but also to purchase for us renewal, the Holy Spirit, life itself. I have come to set you free, he said, and you shall be free because I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Righteousness. And I have risen upon the world with healing in my wings. And because of this, notice the second half of verse 13. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, listen carefully. There is a golden chain here, and we need to catch every link. First link, Jesus died to the power of sin. We already saw that, if you remember, in chapter 6. Second link, he will die no more. He is death's conqueror, and he owns death. Third link, he is reigning at the right hand of the Father and has poured out his Holy Spirit upon all those who believe in him. Fourth link, the Holy Spirit applies the death and the resurrection, the victory over sin that Jesus won. He applies it to you, to every single believer. And that means, therefore, that you can mortify. Now, mortify doesn't mean to embarrass. It is a very strong word, though. It means to kill or to put to death. Now, listen, there is a neat twist here. Instead of sin now putting us to death, because we are united to Jesus Christ by the living spirit, we have the strength to put sin to death. Notice he didn't say here, I want you to do this. He is just describing how great he is, 
how great the victory is that he won on the cross. Now, the obvious question is, how do we mortify? But that's not what Paul is concerned with at this point. Let me say, in terms of putting sin to death, you have to be in the circle or in that chain in order to actually put your sins to death. Think of what sins, what sins you, may be, you may have. Lust, anger, fear, ambition. Not for God, but for yourself. Self-love. We're all guilty of 10 million things. How do we put those things to death? You have to be in the circle. You have to be in the chain. What is the chain? Remember, Jesus died to the power of sin. He's poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He applies the victory of Jesus, his death to sin, his resurrection to life. The Holy Spirit applies that to us so that as we believe, as we call upon the name of God, as we depend upon Jesus Christ for victory over sin, we can put it to death. In my own life, I can testify that when sins have gotten a hold of me for a long period of time, I can always look back and understand the reason they did. And there were several reasons. But the obvious ones were, I didn't cut off the occasion for it. I didn't replace them with righteousness. I wasn't seeking the Lord in prayer as I should have. But there was something else I didn't, I didn't learn until later. And that is, it is only hanging onto Christ that I can be healed. And that's an act of will, which is conscious. And it is, I can't. What? I can't? No. I'm the leper in the gospel. I'm the blind man. I'm the cripple. I'm the dead man. I can't do anything, Lord Jesus, unless you take your death to sin and resurrection to new life and by your Holy Spirit, apply it to me. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he doesn't want us trusting anything to overcome our sin but him. We need to use means, of course. We need to pray. We need to meditate upon Scripture. And it's good to have accountability when we're struggling with particular sins in our lives. These are all very good things for us to do. So let me encourage you to do them. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your pastor. Young people, talk to your parents. Children, you know, oftentimes struggle needlessly with sins in their lives that your parents can help you actually deal with. But maybe you're embarrassed, or you don't want to talk because you're prideful, or you don't want anyone to know how bad you may be. But probably everyone already knows, and you're only deceiving yourself because we already know how bad we are as adults. But understand that the key to overcoming sin is Peter's declaration as he was drowning and sinking in the waters. Lord, save me. Have mercy upon me. You see, this is why the Lord Jesus would have his people stay near to the gospel. 
and have us draw from him. Lord Jesus, you died to this lust and you can help me put it to death. You died on the cross to pay the penalty for my pride, my anger, my frustration, my fears, my worries, my envy, my jealousy, my covetousness, my selfishness, my it's all about me. And I can't have what I want. So everyone around me is going to be miserable. Lord Jesus, you died to pay the penalty for all that. And you rose so that as you give me your Holy Spirit, I can walk in newness of life and put the sins in my life to death. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.